0: Hello and welcome to the swim brief. I am joined, as I frequently am, by Joel Rawlings. Joel, how are you? Hey, Chris. Good to see
1: you. How you been? Oh yeah,
0: I'm, I'm Chris DeSantis. I guess I'm supposed to introduce myself before I, you know.
1: No, it'd also be a great uh, idea to do if we ever had sponsors. If we introduce sponsors. Oh, you know what? Do you know what? We actually
0: do have a sponsor. This is fantastic. Um, yeah, on the swim brief and um i'm realizing yes okay now i'm fully ready to 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 to, to talk about them um they came on a little while back and um our new sponsor for the swim brief is pro swim workouts Um, if you're like me then you've probably had a lot of moments i don't know about you joel but you've had a lot of moments in your life where you've sat down to write a swim practice and been really stumped you you somebody that writing practice comes pretty naturally to joel
1: oh i was was actually thinking man they should have a pro ad read program to come up after this pro workout routine but no exactly i like uh, yeah exactly as you can tell by our podcast organizational skills of writing stuff down is probably neither of our strong suits (laughs)
0: The other the other problem is that I've I've um, anyway, you're you're not satisfied with what you've been doing. I know I'm not satisfied when I'm writing a workout and you're looking for some inspiration to solve a problem in a workout that you haven't yet. Whatever it is, uh, I think pro swim workouts can be a really great resource. It has practices organized by type of team, developmental level, type of workout, equipment needed. And of course, you know, whether it's in yards or short course meters or long course meters. So you can always find something that suits your needs. And I just want to say on a personal level, more than anything, I'm happy to have them as a sponsor because the guy behind the site, Nico Messer, you've, if you've listened to this podcast for a long time, you've heard him. He's one of us. Um, He's a coach. He's got a lot of curiosity and he's always looking for a, a way to get better. And that really is why he started Pro Swim Workouts. In the first place, uh, right now, swim brief listeners can get a discount on Pro Swim Workouts membership if you enter the code Chris D Coach. I'm sorry, <laughs> if you enter the code CD Swim Coach uh, when you sign up, and if you do that, you also support this podcast. So, uh, if that's something that you're interested in doing, you you get a win win in that situation. Pro Swim Workouts. Uh, head on over there, get a membership, get some inspiration for your
1: workouts, and um, and move on with your life. Right, Joel? Exactly. Well done. That was, that was your first read. I think you did an excellent job. And it, it is it like you know, like like your first time parallel parking. Whatever you did there, you can buff right out. It'll be all right. No worries. We got it.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I, I will say, like, I really mean the the, the personal part. We we we've, we've had a few offers for sponsorship here. Over the last year, um it's a pretty well listened podcast. I think we were up around seven thousand downloads last month um and I've said no to a lot of them uh if I'm being honest because I either think it's not something that uh I really believe in or it's you know not something that uh not something. Not, something I'm, not necessarily that I'm not buying it, but I'm just not buying sort of the marketing pitch on some of these things. So um, we're pretty careful about taking on sponsors. But let's get into the podcast. we got a lot there to you talk up, about there today, Joel. Um, we want to talk about uh, the swim that uh, has been rippling across shock the, the world. NCAA world. Yeah, yeah, shock the world. Leon Marchand, the, the, the swim that will force Chris to eat crow about Bob Bowman. Yeah. Um, and Joel's got a lot of stuff he's got ready to talk about in that. And then, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we were on the podcast, we we entertained a, a question from a listener and um, we got some feedback on our answer. And we're just going to keep um, keep some of that conversation going, because I think the question really is one that is on the minds of a lot of coaches. And, um, you know, we don't always go for the simplest answer. If you listen to this podcast, we're trying to go a little bit of a layer deeper than that. Uh, so we're happy to keep pursuing some of this stuff and, uh, give the people what they want, but let's, let's talk about March on first. Um, Joel, you've, you've prepared, uh, voluminous notes as you (laughs)
1: want to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) What do you got
0: to say beyond, wow, that was a really fast 400 IM that, Somebody just popped off in a dual meet.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I I watched it. I like a bunch of friends of mine started sending me the same clip, and it was like it was, it was just amazing to watch that. Um, and the the cool part about it was, um, you know, you start to watch it, and then you can get these clips of like a uh, Bob Bowman talking about the swim and, and the lead up to the swim. So it's always kind of neat to like kind of get the recipe. Like you know, back in the nineties, like you could you knew you were going to have a friend if they could quote slap shot caddyshack, you know. Stripes. If they had those three, like we can be friends. And like if you watch a 400 IM like that, you're like, y- you know that that guy can coach. You can just take anecdotal evidence, like from movie quotes or something. They know you're going to be a friend. See a guy that can coach a 400 IM like that. You know that something really amazing is happening there behind the scenes. And um and so I saw the swim, and then I kind of hunted through and I found some uh some of the clips of Bowman um talking about you know what they were doing to prepping it. And if you, the you can see like in college swimming, like anytime. They've got it structured in a way where you—they had like a mid-season meet where they did well, and I think what they—he said he did—is they dropped like maybe three, four days down a little bit, but then ramped it back up. And it kind of—if you look at like the old like Michael Phelps logs—the volume they're doing is is pretty insane. And then when, uh, when Bowman comes out and says, "Yeah, we've been training. We've really been pushing the envelope pretty hard with this group," and a guy that coached Phelps, the saying he's pushing the envelope, you're like, "Dang, that's that's like." that's more than just an envelope pushing that's like you know whole right. new frontiers and um and kind of the whole post at, office i mean he's pushing yeah that whole he's post post pushing a whole point. post yeah. office exactly that's yeah. a monster truck going through it and and the things they were doing lots of freestyle kinds of things lots of like low rest high volume thing and then when usually when you see in a college from they're coming from their training trip coming back down a little bit you know, just them returning back home, settling into the environment, you're not going to be able to train like you did on a training trip. So generally, you get a little bit of a, a, a bump or a drop in times. Uh, but with this kind of a drop, it's just it is nuts. And especially, they're going back-to-back days of racing, where they, I think they, uh, when he did it, he, they were racing Cal. The day before, they were racing Stanford. And he did all breaststroke, basically, and then IM, all breaststroke, and then IM, and putting up A-cuts in all those swims. And so then kind of watching that swim – If you watch on the the breakouts especially, it's still kind of, again, it's hard to say anything is not quite right when it's that fast of a swim, but there's more room, which is an amazing thing to say. It's not like, well, that was a perfect swim. What are you going to do? You're not going to go anywhere from there. There's still things that he can be doing. Uh, So, like, just counting the strokes on that butterfly, I mean, he gets out there, and um, it's just such a smooth-looking kind of a stroke that you can watch as if you if you go back and watch the film you watch how the the waters the splash line is always going forward each stroke is just kind of pretty precise in that he's landing it and you see that the wake moving forward on that so it's like a kind of that classic skipping stone um movement of it but what i was saying is on the breakout is if you watch on his lower back that line where the diaphragm muscle is you can see it's kind of a kind of a raised ridge. And usually that means it's a little bit tense going into the water, and so he's kind of bracing on that. And then as he settles into the race, and that's where you see that obviously what they've been doing with aerobic training is nuts, As he settles in in a race and just starts getting more and more comfortable as it goes, or or the fact that he's able to go back-to-back amazing swims gets more and more comfortable as it progresses. And so what's going on, I think, is the nervous system is starting to catch up as he races. And in one of the Bowman quotes, they said that's why they're starting to go race suit swimming now is allowing that nervous system to kind of catch up to what they've been doing aerobically. So as they're transitioning from kind of that accumulation stage where all the physiology is changing, you know, the the mitochondria content, capillary density, all the things that come with aerobic and the quote unquote base training is done. That's in the bank. And now as they switch into that more of a nervous system kind of thing, racing is going to make them sharper and sharper where these transitions start to come out. Um, And so I think as you watch some of the breakouts, if you see like all of a sudden the, the hips dropping in the water, I think he did like on one stroke on his fly where all of a sudden strokes are going like five strokes, five strokes, six strokes, six strokes. Uh, with his underwaters being so elite, I think on that first 25 uh, where, where you see that ridge of the diaphragm muscle, I think if, if that kind of calms down and you get that down to four strokes, five, five like that. I I think it'll keep him moving forward better. Um, Obviously, he's a breaststroker, so generally, like, backstroke is usually a breaststroker's, you know, mortal enemy. Um, On that backstroke push-off, his first breakout, again, anytime he's going fly to back, it looks a little bit off. And um, you see the head position changes as he goes, and again, kind of a function of that aerobic base work he's doing, where he's able to kind of settle down, even with a high heart rate like that. And so the tempo on his backstroke looks a little bit off, but his underwaters are so so clean that um you know he's able to get away with so much and as he kind of settled in the backstroke he started to get a little bit smoother as he went um and then i think going into the breaststroke and that was the part i kind of went to right away was was um because a guy's such a premier breaststroker on that first breakout coming backstroke to breaststroke you can see he kind of goes off balance so the head goes up and back a little bit drops the hips down and so his stroke count went like six, five, five, and then up to six again. And, and again, usually I think that's an indicator of that transition work of being able to kind of the nervous system going short axis to long axis, long axis, short axis kind of thing is just the part that he's going to get better and better with. Um, what will be interesting is if this can translate into, you know, long course meter swims, because so much of that is, is underwater. Again, when he's only going like on fly, five strokes, five strokes, five strokes, stroke, breast stroke, five strokes, five strokes, five strokes. Five strokes. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting just to see how those relate out and with this kind of a base and obviously with a, a coach like Bowman, I, th- I think as a, a long course meters from, it will be, it'll be amazing. Um, and then even on the freestyle, you know, when he kind of started falling apart, it's still like, he's still moving a lot of water. So I, I don't think it's one of those where you see like a in season time and then he's just trying to get a couple tenths of the second off. I think there's room where he can drop even more time off of that just by sharpening up his transition points from, again, short axis to long axis. Um, but I, I well, you think heard it's it amazing. here first.
0: Joel Rawlings predicts a sub-330, yeah. 400 IM yeah. for Leon Marchand this year, right? Is that, yeah. that what I
1: heard? Yeah, I think he can do that. <laughs> You know, I I, I totally agree with you. It is.
0: I'd like, I'm, I'm, it sounds like I'm like, you know, making this up to give you a hard time. No, yeah. But I think you just laid out the case that it's, that it's there. Like that, that, that is a reasonable expectation at some point during the season that he can do that.
1: Yeah. And I think with this, the way they're hitting it to and doing these back to back meets, you know, and this is something I, I, I don't know nearly enough about and I keep on trying to read about, but kind of the ability going between like, sympathetic nervous system parasympathetic kind of the, the fight or flight thing it is again it doesn't look like he's in that where it's like it's it's taxing him out so much and he needs all this time recovered i mean to go so fast on on one night and then come back the next day it means i, I think you know obviously his, his body is able to recover at such an amazing rate and i think and one of the one of the articles bowman's like you know the, the guy's going just just crazy in practice for a guy like bowman to say this is sp- amazing practices you're like Right. I mean, that's not hyperbole. That's like, that's like, this is the only person in the world that pr- I have done or practice like this. Yeah. I mean, so I think there's like a couple of things I want to pull out
0: from, from what you said, because I think they're worth, um, they're worth discussing more. One of them is I I love the analogy of just looking at swimming through the lens of the nervous system, because one of the things um I have noticed over the years is that essentially what we are doing when we are coaching people in the sport of swimming is we're actually coaching them out of all of these sort of ingrained nervous system responses that they'll have when they're in the water right because our like you think about when somebody starts learning to swim all the instinctual stuff they do when they go like oh shit i'm gonna drown if i don't do this stuff it's all really counterproductive mm-hmm. to swimming fast right like you'll you'll go completely vertical right, right? Because, because yeah because
1: your your initial instinct is to do something that you've done on the ground is what you're saying yeah versus right. you do it in the water right. it's counterproductive right right
0: yeah all all yeah exactly all the stuff that's you know like we basically we're not natural swimmers right <laughs> it's not it's not instinctually in there, and so all of our instincts are from being in a completely different environment, so you put us in this aquatic environment, and instinctually, and you can see this now even in a swimmer who is swimming the fastest four hundred IM right anybody has ever swam. You can see remnants of this, like nervous system panic that goes, for instance, I've got to tighten up my diaphragm because that's what's going to keep me safe or from drowning in this. Yeah. four hundred IM, right? You know, like it's still in there somewhere. And that is endlessly fascinating to me um, as a coach to, 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 to just observe that piece of it.
1: Right. I, th- I think, yeah, it just kind of thinking it through now. I mean, I, I could nerd out around this for hours probably, unfortunately. But the idea, like I said, like that first 25, maybe you overswam that fly a little bit. And then getting into that backstroke, if, if you watch that video, again, the head position, the backstroke, like you said, is just that classic, like, the head comes up out of the water and kind of looks back towards the toes a little bit. It's, it's not much, but it's enough. It's, it's like you said, it's that panic response that's deep ingrained. You know, on a, on a conscious level, he knows he's not going to die. On a conscious level, he knows what he's doing. But on that kind of the primitive brain or the, the lizard brain, whatever people want to call it, again, that, that basic function that we have of survival, you know, he's gone from butterfly, very, very fast, short axis, underwater, no air, hitting the surface, Right there for that that split second, the primitive brain takes over, look up, get your head out of the water, get your air. And then he settles right back right. down. And And I think that's what makes the difference between an elite and a great a great to an average you know, all the way down is the elite are able to kind of do that and get away with it because he's able to rebalance that backstroke within a half a stroke. His breaststroke, the same thing. What he does on his first stroke coming from the backstroke into the breaststroke transition, it's a little bit higher than he normally would breathe. If you kind of look at... That breath versus like the third or fourth stroke, the head position is subtly different where he's off balance, but he's able to rebalance onto one stroke. And, and the really great breaststrokers I've seen are the ones who can do that. Obviously, like if they get away with not doing it all, it's going to help even more. But for them to do that, um, in, like an average swimmer does that, they're, they're going to be, it's going to take two, three strokes for them to rebalance. For a guy like this, he's taking like, you know, like five strokes for the length anyway. He doesn't have that kind of time. You can see, uh, I think, what really demonstrates how he was off balance on that first stroke going back to breaststroke is the stroke count being a little bit higher because he had to chop his stroke. If you see the tempo of the, the swim in the middle of the race, once he gets to the flags, he's like, I'm going to be off. And so all of a sudden he goes, quick stroke, quick stroke. And that's why he went to six. And he's able to hit the wall perfectly. And again, something an elite level swimmer is able to do is they're going to recognize that this this length, I'm going to be off on my my touch. I've got to chop a stroke earlier. And so he chops it. So it's like... It's, it's basically like when you watch it, it it's, it's basically like you can do a whole course on how to swim a 400 iron based on what this guy is doing. And you can try to counter what is about to happen, but again, that, that's the cool part about swimming. There's never going to be a perfect race because these things kind of creep in. You know, all of a sudden you catch a wave differently, you swallow water differently, that, and it's going to affect the nervous system. It's going to affect, again, that primitive brain functioning.
0: Yeah, Bob Bowman's next, next ask, ask a talk, uh, a lecture on how to swim a 400 IM just freeze framing this video. I think it's not a bad, it's not a bad idea. Um, I would say the other piece of this, and you know, I I do want to get to this piece because people listen to the podcast. know um, I, I dish on coaches. I, I, I criticize, I, I don't hold back. Um, and so I think you can also trust when I'm, going to say something complimentary and I'm going to say a couple of really complimentary things about Bob Bowman. Uh, one of them is I just, it, in some of the stuff you're referencing the interviews and the talk around it, I, I feel like I can see just personal growth on his level that he's showing up different in these interviews. And I, I wonder if, you know, there, there was like, he had some time to breathe. Like when, when Michael retired and he sort of, because he had reached the absolute highest level you could in coaching swimming possible. There was nowhere to go, but backwards (laughs) for a little bit, right? Yeah. He went backwards for a little bit. His backwards was coaching one of the top teams in the NCAA, but you know what I mean? Like that's where he was. But I find when you get those kind of moments, it does give you more time to think and evaluate than when you're just like trying to push up, 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 up. And you're just like, Oh, what's the next, you know, what's the next quad plan? And like, what am I doing for Michael? You know, this thing. So I I can see that maybe he's gotten a little bit of time and space just to like work on himself and just colloquially from talking to other people. um, They say that he seems like he's having a better time coaching that he shows up on deck, you know, like differently in a, in a really positive way um, that he's, you know, just sort of more open and enjoying himself. And I think that's great. And I, I also think that when I look at this Arizona state team, something that stands out is yes, like we've we've got to focus on Bowman and Bowman does it again. And I totally agree with you. Like that says something when it says something about you, when you coach the best person of all time. And then when you coach another person up to that level, it says a whole nother thing, right? That, right? that that level of consistency means something different. But I also see the way that um, the way that he's brought some attention to his assistant coaches. You know, like Herbie is somebody who gets to shine a little bit. Um, I read an article recently about Rachel Stratton Mills. I think that she's gotten like an undue, not an undue, I would say an unusual amount of attention for somebody that's not a head coach on a top team. And so I think like to me as somebody who uh, would be like advising people at, at certain junctures about, you know, different college coaching opportunities, I think Arizona state looks like a better opportunity as an assistant coach because, you know, Bowman is at that stage of his career where he's accomplished so much like he can, he can sort of push other people over the top. And I, I see him doing that a little bit as well. Um, and I think that's great.
1: I also like, again, the, the idea that the, so many programs are going to be different where I like, just from the little bit of experience I had in, in college coaching is, you know, what you're doing training wise is kind of almost part of the marketing program you have for a recruit. You know, if, if you're, if you're telling right. your kids like, Hey, we do a time 6,000 every night, not getting any recruits, you know, and not that that's beneficial. I'm just using it as, a, as an, absurd example, but the idea again, that, that he's laying it out that we're going to work pretty darn hard and we're going to shift it over. And, but if, if there's a promise of success and you know, this guy can deliver that promise. There's a lot of people in the world that'd be like, I'll do it. Just tell me what I need to do. Yeah. And I'll do that. And I think it was, it was cool about this and looking at the Florida program. And then you look at like, um, NC State and UVA, just the different kinds of programs that are, that are available like that, where the, the UVA kids, you know, you can see it's a lot of neuromuscular kind of training, lots of so like quick stuff back and forth where their transitions are sharp, their turns are sharp, their starts are sharp. Uh, and this is one where I'm saying that his transitions are not sharp right now, but they're, they're moving in that direction. So they're kind of switching to a different phase and not that one's right or one's wrong You know, you know that obviously that that what UVA is, is dominating short course yard swimming and it's really quick on the transition and what Bowman's done in the past is dominated long course meter swimming. And it's interesting to take that and put it into short course yards and bring that back out. And so I think it's some really cool things are going on in college swimming at that level. And it's, it's been fun to watch.
0: Yeah. All right, let's shift bases and let's get back to this question because a couple of weeks ago, you know, you you brought in a question to the podcast and if I'm paraphrasing it again, you know, the sort of situation we're talking about is when you're when you're coaching a swimmer and you have a sense well in advance of a competition that everything's just not not all right. Like you right. can see you can see either just that they haven't been completing the stuff in practice that makes a good swim likely, or you can see like maybe they have been, but you know, every time they get to a competition, they seem really overwhelmed by being at a competition. And then that sort of unwinds them Mm -hmm. um, at that stage. And you're feeling a little bit helpless as a coach because you're like, yeah, I can recognize what's going on in this situation, but like, what can I actually do about it? Right. Like right. what stage? And and I think we got into that conversation a little bit, but you got some feedback um from what we talked about on the right. podcast. And I wonder if you'd share that. And then I think we're going to use that as a bridge to just talking a bit more.
1: Yeah. I think, yeah. One of the things that uh, I was talking with this coach about was the idea, again, you see, if kids are not invested 100% in what they're doing emotionally or physically or whatever it is, you know, it's just not a sport where, you, you know, you can get by giving 98% because it looks, it looks like 100, but it's not, whether it's commitment level, uh, whatever it might be. And so you just kind of know that at the end of the line, the race isn't going to be quite there either. And if they already kind of know the races haven't been there in the past, then that next time it's down to 98%. Now they're down to like 94%, 88%. So internally, it keeps on diminishing like that. And so... I think when we were talking, this athlete is already like 15, 16, and you're like, as a female athlete, that might be it for the career then. Cause it's really, again, I'm not saying that is, I'm just saying just from what I've seen is like, sometimes like. Right.
0: That process keeps repeating. We know yeah. generally where it ends. And, 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 and yeah,
1: exactly. It's, here comes the mountain, the plane's going down, no matter how hard I pull the stick, it's it's going to hit that mountain. And so he's like, is there anything yeah. you can do to like, you know, pull this out, salvage this? Or if it's not, is there something that you can do, um, you know, down the line, you know, down the line being like eight, nine, 10, so that you don't have this happening as again or as, as often. And so I think that'd be nice f- from, you know, your professional exp- expertise is the idea of like, what are some concrete things that a coach can do? You know, again, not to say it's a hundred percent preventable, but maybe make it 80% less likely to happen, you know?
0: Well, so I, I, I think about this question or a variation on this question all the time, so I have a lot of different things, places my mind goes as I listen to this, and I, I want to respect the part where where somebody's going, like, "Hey, what's some concrete stuff I can do?" You may be frustrated with my answer if you come. Oh with man, that expectation. I, I, <laughs> I just I want see, to warn people. So much like top that. And... Where
1: am I? See where this is going?
0: <laughs> well. I think it's still going to a pretty worthwhile place because I think that, you know, most coaches, if they really start to understand what's going on, they'll realize that they have the tools already, right? So they don't actually need a, so much of like a, you know, 12 point plan from me (laughs) or anybody else to be able to do this. But what you do, I think should do if if you're really concerned about this is, start understanding what's going on, understand the concepts of stuff that are at play and start thinking about, you know, given that understanding, what kind of steps you would take. And so there's a couple pieces that I think are really important to understanding how um, a a swimmer can get into this piece. And some of it's embedded even in the question that you ask, um, you know, you can see, for instance, that the swimmer is like emotionally protecting right against future disappointment, or um, I think very, very often in the case of swimmers where, you know, like they're, they're kind of, they're showing up, but you're, you're thinking like their effort at practice is not what it should be. Mm -hmm. Um, or their attendance, they are showing up, but their attendance is not what it should be. Very often, you have somebody who doesn't, who actually has pretty high expectations for themselves, but the way that they are motivating themselves to manage those high expectations is completely dysfunctional. So they're caught in a constant loop of, they will probably say to you on some level, like, I, I know I need to work harder. And you go like, well, you're not, you know, like you're not, why aren't you doing it?
1: Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Right.
0: Your, 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 your blood feedback to him as a coach is like, you're not doing it. And yet so that they, what they internalize is "I, I screwed up. I need to find a way to get back to this. Right. They start communicating to themselves in actually a very negative way. And that's how they're trying to, they're essentially they're, they're they're trying to inflict pain on themselves because they think you know more pain more gain so mm-hmm. i inflict pain on myself that's why i motivate myself to the next step and what their their brain starts to associate with the sport of swimming is pain well human beings don't like being in pain naturally mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. well you know i don't know if you've ever touched a hot stove but you're not super motivated to touch it again right afterwards Right, you'd actually probably have to work pretty hard to psych yourself up. And so it's, it's a lot of swimmers are essentially um, trying to summon up the motivation to keep getting themselves to touch a hot stove because they go, I need to do it. I have to do it. I must do it or else, you know, and if you ask them like, or else what? You know, usually the thing on the other end is, mom will be disappointed in me. Um, coach will be disappointed in me. I'll be disappointed in myself. Right. Um, and that is how they are getting themselves like psyched up. And over time that is building a relationship between anticipated pain or actual pain and the process of motivating themselves to do swimming. And at some point they're going to go, why am I trying to psych myself up to get
1: hurt?
0: And when you say that uh doesn't make any sense.
1: If we can step back for a second, so I, I just want to clarify for everyone too, and myself, like when you are saying pain, now are you talking like the physical pain of practice, the physical pain you put yourself into in a, in a set or in a meet, or are you talking about the emotional level of pain that, that is also going to be in part of swimming? So when you are saying pain, what, what are you kind of? I am saying to? emotional
0: pain. Okay. I am saying, I am saying, like they're, they're 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 trying to make themselves scared,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Like they they are inventing, they are constructing a situation where they have to be scared of not doing something, right? So like, I should be scared of not coming to practice. That is how I will motivate myself to get to practice. And you probably situationally can scare yourself into doing things. But over the long term, if we go back to the whole discussion at the beginning, your nervous system gets totally fried out. So basically of scared all the time. So they're
1: going into like a fight or flight response to a sense just to motivate themselves up to make it to a practice. And then you get right. that or negative just to cor- work
0: hard on what they're about to do or just yeah. to re- do this next race. And okay? you get like
1: this cortisol like- dump that starts going, which is fine in the short term. But if it's like every single day just to go to practice, they're basically taking another cortisol dump, you know, to, to be able to right. just all, all the all the all basically all the negative effects that come from the fight or flight response are in there without the positive benefit of, you know, the, the short-term positive effects that come from it too. Okay. Okay. I'm, and kept, it's not, I'm on and with
0: it's, you. It, yeah. And it's not sustainable.
1: Right. right, Joel? right. I mean, like yeah. we've again, again, were, were we drop back into the Leon line,
0: Marchand yeah, conversation. Yeah, yeah. Why can he race well again the next day? Yeah. It's because he's not, he's not assaulting his own nervous system. to yeah. swim that yes. 400. IM. That's,
1: all right. <laughs> that's very clear I, for me. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Good. Yeah.
0: yeah so understanding and like, I, I, I was reminded by, uh, about this earlier this week, um, because, you know, Brett Hawk has gotten, um, for his podcast, he's partnered up with Aska and now they're releasing old Aska talks uh-huh. as podcasts. And I'm just like, I'm not listening to them. I'm, but I'm, you know, I'm consuming the clips uh-huh. on social media. And there was a clip of Sam freeze and it made me think of, um, R.I.P. Sam, by the way, Uh, uh, one year when I was in Denmark, you know, the Danish coaches clinic, they would they would blow all their cash on one person. Yeah. So one year I went to it, it was Dave Marsh. Another year I went, it was Sam Fries and there would basically be no other presenters. And you would get one person like six times over the course of a couple days. So I got a lot. I got like a mega dose of Sam Fries and one thing that he he talked about that weekend that has stuck with me ever since was he's was saying like sometimes you're coaching a swimmer and you um you know you get them to do a level of performance that they're emotionally completely unprepared for and he talked about a a woman that he coached once that just went to a meet and just like lit it up yeah. and he said it was probably the worst thing that ever happened to her because she was she wasn't really ready like in, in some ways, she was ready, obviously, since she did it. But the aftermath of it was so overwhelming for her. She was sort of so unprepared mentally for what would come afterwards mm-hmm. that it took her a long time again to swim well, you know, to sort of unwind some of that. And I, I, I think one of my central theories, again, this is the second point to understanding this is in swimming, we've become very advanced in the way that we train swimmers the training level like if you listen to like i i listened to my former boss on a podcast ask a podcast they made him talk about training for two-thirds of the podcast Mm -hmm. we have so many resources out there how to train how to do race pace how to you know how to like push volume how to like everybody has i think actually gotten to collectively a pretty good level on how to train swimmers. So we have these swimmers who are physically so much more fit than somebody who was you know, swimming at a national level, for instance, 40 years ago. The fitness level, you just can't even compare um, because we've refined a lot of the piece of that. But I think we have a lot of swimmers who, like if I go back to the Sam Fries example, th- their emotional preparation, for what they're going to try to do performance wise or even what they're capable of is not in line. It's completely imbalanced with their level of physical fitness. Um, and that's because we haven't built it into the plan
1: that most people have for training swimmers. Right. No, that makes sense. I was, I've been listening to some things about like um, the idea that like we, we teach them how to turn the faucet on full blast and right. then the race is done and that that faucet's still on full blast, and we we don't really have a, a method beyond just go swim down now uh, to turn that faucet off. So not just and again, uh, it was like I I keep on thinking because I always want to know more about like the the neuromuscular part of it. You know, I studied exercise physiology when I was an undergrad, and like how come I didn't know all this stuff? It's like well, it wasn't really merged back. You know, when I did it so long ago, and now it's merged more. Sports more psychology is merged in with it, and so all these things are merged together. So. I think as, as swim coaches too, we understand the physiology of it because it's 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 something that we want to. Well, you
0: understand the physiology. I don't understand the physiology as well, okay. but I'm learning by
1: listening to you. But we want the numbers, yeah, yeah. We want the numbers. And yeah. That's why we track yardage and things like that, and we 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 can ramp it up. We get them going a certain way, but again, we don't know how to turn some of those things off. And especially, again, this this emotion dump, and and sometimes everyone like when they hear emotion, I know a lot of coaches turn their backs on it because they think emotion, like, oh, we're gonna like you know cry together or something like that. Now, the, the emotion of the race, you know, you're, you're, you're amped up, you're excited, and now you got to come back the next day. So going back to this 4im example, obviously, he wasn't so ramped up by these great swims against Stanford that he kind of, like, was just overwhelmed the next day. You know, in, 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 a, in an event like breaststroke and the IM, where there's so much going on with the nervous system and the timing has to be so precise to be balanced while you swim, he's able to do it again. Uh, as Again, he's figured out a way to kind of not turn emotions off, but, but again, kind of recycle that energy. And, and I think kind of going back to the example we're talking about now, you've got some of these kids that are coming in, maybe in a sense that, you know, like you said, they, they keep on going that negative route in anticipation of negativity, that they're going to not give that full 100%. Well, if you just give 100%, we'd have this. And like, but they have given the 100% and they felt like they were a little bit short of it. And so eventually you start to kind of protect yourself emotionally as well as physically that you know what if, if i don't give 100 percent you know then then i've got like a little bit of an escape where i'm not a bad yeah. person i'm not this i i, I only gave 95 percent anyway even though they're not really physically saying that in their head there's kind of like like you said it protects their their their, their ego it protects their emotions it protects themselves from from yeah that you know
0: yeah. I would see a lot. I mean, a lot of swimmers end up getting into ego protection mode. Coaches end up getting into ego protection mode because they're like, they want people to know like, Hey, this is not my fault. You know, like that this person is right. You know, having such a bad time doing a sport of swimming. Like that's not on me. Yeah. Like I, you know, I, I did what I was supposed to do to, to get them ready.
1: And, and, um, and then we can find to, our own evidence. It. I've got, you know, back in the eighties, we used to do 10,000. I never had a shoulder pain at all. And, and like all of a sudden there's a kid injured. And obviously we didn't yeah. get in the sport to injure a child. And all of a sudden it's like, well, that's kind of my fault. That's really hard to say. So I, I never thought about that from yeah. an angle, but we do protect our own selves. Like what is this kid doing wrong? You know, versus again, right. it, you know, we can't do it each time because we'll, we'll crush ourselves. But, but again, it is, there has to be a meeting in the middle where we understand, again, that it's not one size fits all. Right.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think and I think you lend one more good analogy to all of this is like, I I would say, look at even some of this emotional preparation stuff as, as like a, a sequence, right? So if we look at the physiology side, like if you were developing a long term plan for an athlete, hmm. you would have an idea, you know, like, roughly how you want to train them when they're eight years old, they're nine years old, like as they transition to get older, if if they're, you know, a high school age kid and you're trying to train them for a national level of competition, you know, like, what does the training plan look like? I think most people have an idea of that. And you also maybe you have technical progressions, right? You have like, okay, freestyle. Here's sort of where I want somebody to be skill wise. When they're an eight and under, and here's what I would like, you know, consider like a functional level of skill skill knowledge when they're a high school age number. It's the same thing for emotional preparation, and like like I said with the the skill progression, if you if you have somebody that is totally imbalanced in their skill progression, and you're making them do a ten thousand, yeah, for most of us, we know that equals a shoulder injury. Mm -hmm. Right. Where they have something really dysfunctional in the way that they move and you make them do it over and over and over and over again. Same thing applies to the emotional side of it. Right. Where if they come up through your system, motivating themselves completely dysfunctionally on an emotional level, and then they get to a point where they need to motivate themselves to practice eight, nine, ten times a week and show up to a meet every weekend well mm-hmm. that's like a lot of reps to put on a dysfunctional motivation system yeah right? and it, that then that can lead to injury injury of the mind you know
1: and, and their um, interpretation of what's supposed to occur at meets too i think is really good because as, as a coach we're like and hey, this is you know october little whatever meet you know it's like and in your head it's like yeah whatever you but in a kid's mind if this could be their biggest thing this is oh my gosh the coach expects me to be at my peak performance right now and and um I think sometimes uh, we we tend to not explain enough, and sometimes we way over-explain. As a case in this podcast, <laughs> the uh, the idea we always over-explain. We, always that's, is, we should
0: call this not the swim brief, but the over-explained <laughs> swimming
1: podcast. <laughs> over-explained brief, yeah. Yes. and so um, yeah, the, I guess that's the idea again. Um, I, I go back to one of the first coaches I worked for. You know, he was a uh, two tours in Vietnam, and he would always like have these meetings after each session of a meet. I'm like, Oh, why are we doing this? And he's like, the guy I know the battle's over. And, and I never thought about that until I started thinking about the context of this, where you gotta let him know the emotions is okay to turn that faucet off. It's also okay to know going into that, this battle, this is the, this is the goal of the battle. So once you get out and race and going back to this clip of, of, uh, the 400 IM, that's kind of what, what Bowman set up too. It's like, we're racing in our tech suits now cause we're going to catch up and this is what, what to expect. And this is what we're going to do. So we're kind of laying out the emotional like this is all the, the, the bar I want you to jump over is only going to be two feet off the ground. You know, let's just right. jump over that versus, again, a 10 and under a 12 and under a kid where every meet the bar is six feet high. You've got to get over that. And when they're 10, 11, 12, you know, the next day they're already taller than they were yesterday. They can keep jumping that bar. And then when they hit 13, 14, 15, 16, and as coaches, we all know it's coming. Uh, You know, but I think sometimes we fail in in that we got to let them know it's coming too. in a sense, not in a negative way. We're like, you're going to have to. It's like this is going to be the adversity that's ahead and this is what we're going to do to overcome that adversity. And you should just kind of stay with doing this. And and like you're saying, instead of making it a pain, the pain of training is like what's on the other side of it, you know, and and again, focusing on that. And I think a lot of times when I hear coaches, they 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 kind of focus on the pain let's go hurt you know we let's go you know tear their hearts out let's go whatever it is versus the hey you guys are nervous you're supposed to be nervous it's a big meet it's okay uh, and, right. and letting them know that whatever they're right. feeling there's nothing wrong okay. with you if
0: you're nervous in fact there's something right with
1: you right now <laughs> if you're nervous exactly you know you you put a lot yeah. on the line here and i think sometimes like there's no fear you know it's no fear kind of thing and it's and i right. think what you're saying is again it's, it might work for one kid in 40 uh, you know, but it's it's not going to work for every kid.
0: Yeah, I have, um, and I, I I think we'll save this for a later podcast. I always got to tease something for the future. But, um, you know, I think in teaching some of this stuff, you know, as, as I said, one of the reasons why I think it's important to actually understand the concepts on the front end is because if you understand the concepts, then you have the, you can do the first step of any of this, mm-hmm. teaching any of this to a kid is you can be empathetic to them you can go, Hey, I think I know what's going on. Is it this, you know, like, or you can be like, it's this correct me if I'm wrong. You know what I mean? Some version of that, where you go like, Hey, let me offer you like an explanation for what's going on here. That's not like you are bad and you should fix that. Right. Like to somebody who's completely exasperated, who's probably, you know, at the end of the race, They are disappointed in how they swim. And then you've given them a list of things that they should do to improve. And they're thinking their motivational structure is such that they're thinking like, oh my God, how much pain am I going to have to go through to do that? The things that he just listed to me and what I did already wasn't enough. Right, right. You know, so like, so there's a whole, there's a whole conversation to be had about that piece. And I actually, as we segue to the um, conclusion here, I want to, um, I'm going to tease an announcement also, which is. I am debuting my first ever online course. Um, It is the first of five in positive psychology in coaching. And um, I have been, this is a thing that I've been talking about doing for a long time. A lot of people, including Joel on the other end has, you know, have have come to me and said like, hey, Chris, you should do this. Um, And I am doing it. Uh, There'll be a formal announcement about that coming on Monday, that is Monday, January 30th. Um, I'm gonna open up registrations for it. It's gonna be a six week live course, uh, an hour each week. Um, And the cool thing about it that I always tell people is, you know, when I tell the story of positive psychology, Marty Seligman, who is the one of the sort of founders of the field of positive psychology, it took him 30 years to get from a theory of learned helplessness to a theory of learned optimism, which is one of the foundational ideas of positive psychology, you know, he you can learn most of what you know what he knows by reading a book <laughs> that he wrote called Learned Optimism, and um, now I get to transfer some of that knowledge to people in an even shorter time frame, and that's just kind of a cool thing about the human experience is that we're constantly learning things and stuff that took, you know, like the computers of 50 years ago that took, you know, all day to like do a simple math equation, right? We all have like a million times that power on our phone right now. So we have um, the power to share some knowledge around this stuff. um, And I'm finally getting out there and doing it. So I'm really excited for people to come in on that. There's also going to be an opportunity to get certified um, in positive psychology and coaching, it's a little bit more intensive and there'll be more details on that when I announce everything as well, but I'm really excited about it. Um, I've, I've sent out a message to a few friends, um, gotten a really positive response around it. And, uh, I wanted to tell people here that listen to the podcast as well. So you have the opportunity to anticipate. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like Marvel, you know, like a, it's the teaser trailer yeah, yeah, for the yeah. trailer, for the thing um, here in this podcast. Uh, for more great positive psychology content, you can go to Instagram, uh, Christy underscore coach, Christa Santa's Coaching on Facebook. These podcasts are uploaded to YouTube. They're on Spotify. They're on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to everybody for listening. You guys have been uh, just a great, I I really mean this honestly. Um, the people that reach out and have been listening to the podcast and supply questions like the one that we did today, um, it makes it really fun to do this. It makes me me feel like a part of a bigger community, um, and I really enjoy that piece of it. And uh, thank you, Joel, as well, for uh, being on once again and and uh, and for being willing to over-explain things.
1: <laughs> no, it was good talking to you, and uh, definitely check out ProSwim uh personal yeah, workouts, personal workouts
0: cd swim coach is uh is the code um if you want to do that stuff thank you for helping me with my ad read and uh thank you everybody for listening and we'll see you again next week thank you